Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of Humans Aren't Robots. We're in season two, and if you've tuned into the last few episodes, you will know that we've been trying something a little bit different this season, an experiment for us. We've taken a whole bunch of conversations that we had at South Start last year and picked out some key themes that we thought were interesting and put them into a, a series of conversations. I'd love to hear your opinion on the format. Do you, do you like this documentary style podcast or would you prefer to hear just a full interview with one guest? Um, if you do have any feedback, I'd love to hear it. You can hit us up on our socials at Digital Noir um, or you know, comment anywhere you can find us. So onto this week's episode. So today we're talking about fear. Fear is something that can affect anyone in all walks of life, in all industries. And it's, it's a very human, raw emotion and something that can really affect our ability to perform at our best. I think it's something that we all have felt in our life. Um, and it's it's one of those sort of raw human emotions, but it's interesting thinking about it through the lens of, of business and work. And listening back to these conversations, I found it really interesting to hear fear described in so many different ways. From big CEOs being put out of their comfort zones to the fear of sharing information to teenagers being pressured to learn and perform in environments that they may not get the best out of them. Um, Nicole Dyson, who we've spoken to in a few episodes, she described fear as being a muscle, which I thought was a really nice take on it, a muscle that we have to build by becoming comfortable with fear in safe environments and building up our resilience to it. Because the more we put ourselves out there and actually step off that cliff, the better we become at facing those fearful situations. And I know that's something I resonate with in my life at the moment. And I think it, it really is best sort of thought of as something that, that does need to be faced and overcome. And like, like, like a lot of those sort of base emotions um, taken you need to step out of the emotion itself and, and look at it from a from a sort of from afar or from a, a less involved perspective. Because once we get caught up in fear, we get so wrapped up into it. Anyway, this week's guests we speak to uh, Julie Trell, Catherine Boychuk, Katrina Dunn, Nicole Dyson, and the wonderful Flavia Tatanardini um, about fear. So let's dive in uh, with some of these conversations live from South Start in 2021. improv cool scary word for mm. some people oh my god i gotta be funny i gotta perform but the principles of improv the tenets of improv saying yes and being spontaneous when you're on stage the way improv works if you're on stage you're about to start a scene and your partner says isn't it so cold up here on the mountain you have to go there and you have to play that so that's a gift even though in your mind you're like i want to be i want to start this scene sitting on a on a beach drinking a margarita <laughs> And so as soon as someone says that you have to go there, so you've lost control of what you're thinking and, and being able to be fluid yeah. will help with that growth mindset. The thing that I find there is one of the big barriers is fear, right? So, so if we, if we're trying to take that, I was just telling Nicole, um, we were running a workshop with a client, um, where we had marketing in the room, we had some designers in the room and we had the CEO and we were talking about their website and how their customers interact with it. And we were just workshopping some, some ideas, right? The, um, the CEO at the thought of post-it notes and, and having his thoughts, you know, a 65 year old white male, um, a bunch of, you know, amongst what he saw as a bunch of creatives, um, having his thoughts sort of come out on post-it notes. He's, he was scared shitless. It was yeah. very interesting to watch, but I, I felt very, as the facilitator, like, how do I make this bloke feel comfortable and, and try and tear down some of this, you know? you know, historical trauma that he has as a human thinking yeah. that I'm going to get this wrong here. And what did you do? Because I, I find people in workshops like that because mm. I, I did a similar activity where I said, 
you have to say yes and to everything. Yeah. And that also freaked a CEO. Yeah. We're in playland right yeah. now. So I love those people that aren't loving what you're doing. I think find that there's great data and finding what their motivation is. So how did you disarm I, I, it? I struggled to be honest. And okay. I, 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 I did it by putting myself out there and giving some suggestions that I thought and trying okay. to pr prompt him into it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, trying to create that safe space where it isn't an us against you. Cause I think in that setting as well, there's this idea that, well, marketing is trying to sort of, you know, get one over on me as, you know, so I don't have to spend more money. But I actually found it difficult to be honest. Yeah. That, that... What would you do differently now? Cause I, you know, what was his motivation around that or what trauma I, you know, what yeah, would you do different? So here we are back yeah. in, what did you learn from it? Cause I think those failures are, are amazing gifts. I think that what I would do differently, I think, and in those, in those settings, you actually have to frame it better from the start. So, so rather than feeling as if you've been thrown in the deep end there, yeah. like ease your way into that session and, and, and almost sort of say, as we walk into this session, this is not your typical, you know, boardroom meeting. This is, this is going to be different. And, and maybe some, you know, like the, the cliche icebreaker at the start of a workshop is, is never enough, right? Like sometimes it is for some people, but not someone like that probably. So different pathway than you were expecting. So I always, again, turn it around and find those, um, those struggles or what you're calling failures. Like I was just asked to do something that I, I, I was ready to go do it this way. We get together to plan it and it was this way. And I really voiced my opinion and I was like, I don't want to be run over. Like, you know, I don't want to be not heard. I'm not feeling heard right now. And I kind of wanted to have spit the dummy, as you say, and have a hissy fit. But then I was like, no. This is an opportunity for me to learn, to show up, to not conform myself to what was happening. So I'm learning as well. And I want to go back to you brought up fear. It's powerful. It's powerful. And, and being in getting, I mean, I still have it every day. I sit up on stage and I'm not an expert here. And I chose to represent all the people that don't think they belong here right now, that they believe that they, they think that they're not enough. When of course they are, and I have to remind myself as well. So I said, I'm going to represent all of you and then step in that space. Still, can I swear? It's <laughs> scared shitless half the time. But once you open it up, it's not as scary once you step off that cliff. It, it, it really isn't. And, and you, I think having like doing it as a group is, is, is that sort of uh, gives you that extra comfort, I suppose, as yeah. well. Literally holding hands to jump off. I'm going to take a step back, you know, coming from the U.S., literally growing up in Silicon Valley in 2000 at Salesforce, and then coming down here and working with a big corporate. And I, it, so growing up in at Salesforce, you're, any, all ideas were okay. Test it out. Try it out. It works. And people really back themselves and back their ideas. I come down here, it was very different. And it was a lot of wait and see. And I don't want to go to Silicon Valley on this trip. I was working with a lot of founders in our startup accelerator. And I had an upsell. This is, what if nobody's going to take my meeting? What if I don't have the perfect um, pitch deck? I can't, you know, there was, there was so much fear in, in going up there. So I wanted to find this balance while I came down here, this balance of this almost ego side of things and this opportunity of the fear to take it and learn from it and and experience what they what they could and the, the other thing that I, f I fear a lot of it is it's very comfortable down here I love it down here it's very comfortable but it's comfortable in a sense where things were shifting at the company that I was at and everyone was like well we need to wait and see what the higher-ups are gonna tell us 
And I'm like, this is the perfect time to design what should happen. Let's create something and throw it up so then we can get feedback rather than waiting to be told what to do. And I think that comes from fear. It's interesting in sort of startup world, there is a little bit more of the kind of, uh, I suppose, appetite for for failure and, and testing and, and sort of diving in the deep end. But if we take it back to kind of your, you know, your typical sort of workplace environment, like one of the things that I I struggle with, you know, thinking about this as a, as a, as a value is, is like, you know, just in a, in a, in a meeting environment, right? Where like not even a high pressure meeting, just a, just a team meeting, like creating a space where everybody feels like they can actually have a voice, the highest paid guy in the room or the white owner that's sitting there. Um, like, and I, I, again, this is something that I, you know, you can put in place, you can put in place systems and processes and, and try and, and try and sort of, as a leader, give the, I suppose, tools to allow the voices to be there, but yeah. it's still sometimes not enough because there's so much has happened previously in people's lives that you can't, you can't decode. Right. Exactly. And I think it's going to come back to fear a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I want to start a new pandemic and this pandemic is make others look and feel good. It's another improv tenant. And imagine how awesome that would be if everyone's making everyone else look good. Because once you're making everyone else look good, that's going to make you look good. And I heard one of the ministers speaking this morning about South Australia, that uh, there is success, but we're afraid we, the South Australians, are, are, are afraid to promote it or even ashamed of it. And I said, okay, well then, if other people are promoting it and other people are making you look good, that might just start this trend. It'll be easier to do. And so that's my new pandemic. Make others look and feel good. No need for a vaccine. But we don't need that, right? Like, and I think that is actually, like, that's, that's, that's part of the, of the cure for that, that, that sort of, I don't know, disease where you've got people sitting there feeling as if my voice isn't important because for whatever reason, right? Yeah. But if, if you can champion that person, they start feeling as if, yes, I, I, can, I, I can speak up next. You don't need technology. You don't need a platform. You don't need to do that. It's just, it's a mindset. It's a mindset I'm going to commit to saying, you know, making sure so-and-so looks good and not take their idea, but amplify it, say it again, give them credit. The session we did yesterday, I loved how, you know, I made sure we introduced ourselves not by our resume, not by our CV, what's invisible. And um, co-facilitator Aaron introduced himself through the amazing work of, of many of the people in the room that he knew. He's like, I love doing this. And I, the reason I love this and the reason I got good at that is because this person. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. So he really made everyone look and feel good in that room. And yeah, it was very cool. A guy I work with really closely, he, he messaged me and said that it was, he felt it was really fantastic. He's, he's a, a firm believer in sort of trying to level the playing field in a business environment. Mm-hmm. He said that you did a really great job of sort of um, bringing out the humanity within that room, right? And, 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 and allowing people to feel something, right? right? Other yeah. than just sitting there and listening and that sort of yeah. passive. Would you think that I'm thinking that might be the way also to kill the tall poppy syndrome, amplifying others. It's just, and you will amplify yourself in doing so. Well, yesterday we played all the games and it was fun to raise that energy. And um, it's that mindset because I could sit here and talk about improv or I could sit here and lecture on it. Mm. But until people get up and move in their bodies and, and find it's a safe space, it's not going to happen. Improv is one of those things that, you know, would terrify a lot of people, right? Totally. Um, but once you are immersed in it and have got over the, the fear, yeah, it's fun. But the, the other problem is using the word improv. I need to figure out how yeah, to yeah. rebrand it because you can, you're still doing it. It's playing games. Play is also a scary word, mm. but I, I 
what I, I've said, you know, try and sneaking the vegetables underneath the French fries. Yeah. <laughs> so getting the play and the gaming and the improv underneath everything. It's leadership development. It's growth. And yeah. um, I, so I have to be married to the, the words improv and play where I need to, again, listen to the journey, listen to my customer and the user and mm. making sure. What do you, any words jump to mind that you think would be? Uh... Leadership and growth. Um, you just made me think about when we were going back to the being talked at. Yeah. And um, panels and just being talked at. And we need to shift that and make it comfortable so people can stand up. There's so much more when I'm in the U.S. and people will stand up sometimes just to hear them speak and ask snarky questions. Mm. I don't hear that as much here. No, very much so. No. And um, if I could make it a safe space or create that safe space where people can ask those questions and bring out the inner child in the play. I don't know the words. I I'd love to hear from others. We often get stuck, you know, looking at those two different ends of the spectrum instead of not making things happen in the middle. Um, but like uh, around, uh, like maybe going back to, um, you know, technology, because I feel like we, a lot of people are just sort of floating in that middle area without really understanding what, what happens next. Like I think that comment around jobs changing that much in 25 years would scare the shit out of a lot of people as opposed to potentially feel exciting and on the frontier of these endless possibilities. How do we start conversations around that that don't feel dystopian? I think that fear is usually a signal related to based on all the facts and information you've got and I can't see a path forward that's not good for me. <laughs> and what I encourage people to do is when you're faced with that that type of statistic that, you know, 85% of the jobs that are going to exist don't exist yet and that's only a 15-year time horizon, I think that's because when we think about what the education process is to get one of those jobs, we go, it's a university degree and it's going to take me four years and I can't afford four years of no salary because I have X level of mortgage commitments, et cetera. Private school fees, right? Linear thinking. However, if I was to say to you, you can uh, do a Tableau online course in half a day and in log on and create a profile on Upwork and you can start to bill your workout at $42 an hour the following day, you might go, actually, I think maybe data science is for me. <laughs> and similarly, you know, look at 42 here in Adelaide, it's about to open up, you know, a teacherless school where students can go and get an education for free and become coders and learn about AI. And that is the future of education. So if you use, if you upgrade your information with the latest set of options that you have, more often than not, the thing that you're, you're fearful of is actually the fact that your information's out of date and you're using an inaccurate set of assumptions. We've been talking a lot about fear today and like fear driving a lot of, um, so tell me a little bit about F off. <laughs> so when I quit my corporate job, I remember doing it, um, after having listened to this transformational comedian called Kyle Cease and he was, um, basically what he said was the human mind, and it was funnier than this. The human mind can only measure what it will lose. It can't measure what it will gain. And I just remember going, I'm not quitting my job because I fear all of the things that I've constructed from my past, but I don't have the capacity to imagine my future. And so I was afraid. And there was a lot of fear keeping me there. The fear of, well, first fear of losing money. So I never thought I'd be able to have the same level of money I did at corporate. There was the fear of being, uh, 
I guess, rejected by my friends and my peers because I was doing something that was unconventional that they could not relate to. And then there was the fear of losing my identity. If I can't talk about myself, you know, is this professional, this brand, who am I? And I just saw that they were actually holding me back from realizing my potential in the world. And so I started F off, which stands for the fear of failure forum, uh, which is a movement to say F off to our fear of failure and grow our potential, mainly in a way to be able to hack myself into courage and also find like-minded people who shared that vulnerability that I had. And um, it started off as a, I guess, a bunch of speaking engagements that then evolved into my executive and now team coaching um, service line. And um, I think no matter whether you're black or white or rich or poor, the fear of failure is something that connects us all. Like we can't relate to each other's successes because they are born out of our own unique personalities, but our fear, that's shared. Have you ever heard of a thing called fuck up nights? I, I did one a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was interesting. Some of my team came and I told a story about oh, this project I took on, this big app project, which I, I shouldn't have taken on. It was a, it was a nightmare. I, was, I, I really fucked it up. Um, but it, uh, Briar, who's been with me six months, she's like, she said, oh, like, I, I never think of you as like making wrong decisions or like, you know, it's like every day, every day, I have no idea what I'm doing all the time, literally. Um, but it is that I suppose creating a safe space where you can fail and you can, you know, feel comfortable to do that. Cause again, like as an entrepreneur, as a, as a, as a leader, you sort of have to do it, right. You're sort of forced into the position where you don't have any other choice, right. Like I'm sitting here on a microphone talking to you now. Like I, I can't run away. So I could, but it'd be weird. It'd be weird if you, or it'd be bad for me if you ran away. But. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I think like, like trying to create those, because yeah, school felt, I, I remember thinking back to school, you know, you didn't want to put your hand up unless you had the right answer. And even then you sort of second guessing, like, do I want to be the person that's putting my hand up and giving the I'm answer? Drawing like attention it, to myself unnecessarily. It definitely wasn't, I mean, some, some classes were, but it definitely didn't feel like a, you know, a community of like-minded people kind of learning mm -hmm. and, and, and enjoying what they were doing. It was very much was sort of sit and listen. Yeah, totally. I think, um, you know, part of what we talk about in our program is how do we build up like the failure fitness of young people? And I mean, look, you call it grit or resilience sure. or whatever language model you want to use, but ultimately fail failure is a muscle like that you need yeah. to flex in order to not stop yourself from failing, but just to get better at getting up, yeah. I think more than anything else. And I think part of that is the only way to get better at failing is to have like many micro moments of failure in a safe space. And the only way to be the architect of that kind of environment as an educator is to set that up in like a space of play. Um, because I think if you get young people particularly to practice failing in a space that feels fun like that, you're going to get them flex that muscle more often. But we don't often combine those two things together, which is why I think the fuck up nights work so well. Yeah. Because there is an element of play that sits around sharing those stories. Mm. And so therefore, I think it makes it a safe space to fuck up and fail. Um, so what's the name of the um, the cards that you guys have developed? So oh, catapult cards. Catapult cards. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. and Because I, yeah. I think there's some some of those design thinking exercises are, yeah. um, actually allow that, you know, fast failure. and Totally. And you know what, like we, uh, over the last like few years, we've worked with, you know, thousands of students and obviously, you know, so many teachers. And the one thing that I kept noticing every time I walked into a classroom or any space, like whether it was a, a startup ecosystem space was that the ability to generate ideas was really clunky. Mm. Like, and the ability to facilitate an environment that was conducive to creativity was actually quite hard. 
Um, and so what we did is just basically turn some of the methodology that we use in our program into cards that have got prompts on them. So for our young people in our design process, we take them through thinking divergently about all the problems that exist in the world. So we just developed a set of cards that gets them to generate lots of different problems. Okay. And then from there, they pick a problem that they want to focus on so they converge back down. And then we get them to think about, well, the card prompts sort of lead them through finding potentially 100 different solutions to that problem. So again, the prompts direct that divergent thinking, and then they can nail back down and okay. sort of pick one to work with. And then we look at value propositions. So, okay, you want to make t-shirts, wicked. Why would I buy your t-shirt? Yep. Like what are all the different ways that we can create a unique value proposition for your product or service or whatever else you've chosen? Cool. And then narrow back down. And then we look at the business modeling. So let's actually make it a, a viable concept that is sustainable financially. And then we look at the storytelling aspect. So how do we pitch it? So each deck of cards, you can, you can obviously do them independently, but by moving through them chronologically, you go from looking at problems to picking a solution, to making sure it has a value proposition, to having a sustainable business model through to like, how do I convey that idea in a compelling way to others so that they jump on board and support me? Do they test in the process as well? Like yeah. how long does that process take? You could do the cards in an hour if you really wanted to, right? <laughs> or you could do it over the course of four weeks um, and then run a series of tests after each one, like checking with potential customers around whether the top two or three ideas that you've chosen, which one the market prefers. You can prototype in amongst that and test it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's basically you can accordion in the process you know, and do it really in a tight space in like a hackathon style, or you can accordion it out and, and obviously do that series of activities over a longer period of time. Really interesting. Yeah. I found um, like we run, um, like for example, we did a customer journey um, workshop, customer journey mapping workshop with a, one of our clients recently. And we had um, some marketing department in the room, creatives from my team. And then we had the sort of the, the, the business owner on their yeah. end and the CFO from their end. And it was so funny. So we we're doing some sort of um, ideation just on on post-it notes just around some yeah some ideas around their website and how people yeah. are potentially using it and this like preconceived notion from the the business owner and the cfo around what's happening here this is a creative mm. thing i'm not creative yeah. I'm, and and the the fear that they had like really it was, it was you could feel it sort of like sitting there with this post-it note mm. having to share in front of their juniors and yeah. it was really interesting and like mm. as a facilitator i i struggled to sort of break down those barriers mm. and make that 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 place yeah. feel safe because mm. the, i mean the hierarchy is so ingrained like yeah that, especially in you know, that organization yeah. um and it was just really interesting watching this sort of you know like 60 year old bloke kind of just like freaking out trying to write like you know some basic set of ideas around why their homepage might not be working yeah. but it's it interesting to watch you know and I, very much that fear of just sticking his neck his, his neck out just back in the body of a 14 year old boy like desperate not to put their hand up and say the wrong thing yeah, I think it's really interesting. And like, again, I think what Catapult Cards is cool is you can like practice that in spaces where it doesn't matter, right? And so before you're sort of thinking about your best next idea that you're going to sort of invest blood, sweat and tears in, even just replicating that process in a fun way, I think is how you build up that creative confidence in order to apply it in spaces that are perhaps a little bit more serious. The cards are also super important for us in trying to solve a problem because we get young people at the end of our program who have cool ideas um, but obviously they can't get necessarily access to the funding that they need to launch them. And so, I mean, the cards solved a problem for educators and facilitators to deliver the process, but 50% of the profits go back into a fund for young people to access in order to, to get the coin for their concepts. And I think um, what's great about the concept is that it's obviously unleashing creativity for anyone everywhere, but it's also then backing youth-led enterprise, which I think is the foundation of our future as well. What kind of 
practices do you put in place in terms of like personal development or um, like helping your team upskill, grow, like either professionally or personally, like within within Fleet? Is there, is there structures in place for that? Yeah, not really structured. Okay, but it's it's part of I think that that the DNA, I guess. Um, it's hard, you know. As a co-founder, everyone, a CEO, a female CEO, everyone thinks that they can constantly count on you to upskill or even talk about their own problems. Sometimes they forget that I'm going through the same journey. Like I was an engineer, and then I raised five million. Now I'm a CEO, and I need also my space for growth. You know, like. But I am a very people person and um, I just, uh, they, my employees tell me these funny things that they say, uh, that I see everything. Like I'm not there, but I see everything, you know. And I think it's important to have a fleet, everyone mentors someone. Okay. And it's hard because I'm software developer. I'm like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have that. And I'm like, you've been there when you were 22. And you know how hard it was. And it's so valuable for the person teaching, I think, mentoring. Like you learn so much when you teach back to someone. Exactly. You also learn that you don't know how to explain things or maybe you don't know them very well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's easy. Don't you understand how I'm explaining to you? So we push people to do that you know, internally. And I also, exactly. So I, I look a lot of external mentors for my team as well. So if, uh, you know, other, there's four, five, six people in my team that have got a external mentor working at a startup and things like that. And but it's something that not a lot of people do because they don't want the startup news to go everywhere, but I don't care. Like the things that I always say, and everyone says like, what if I don't really take care of these people and don't, don't give that away and, that, and they stay with me and they actually terrible employees, like give them a chance. So I connect them. I, I've, I've feel like people from overseas outsiders coming into Adelaide have much more of that kind of like, yeah, like let my team, you know, experience. Australians are not like this. You know, sometimes I even struggle with some of my team members that are Australian. They're like, we are not going to go to that event. We are not. Why do you have our uh, junior engineer to be coached by the CTO of the company that could be our competitor? And I'm like, I don't care. Because, you know, I don't care about anything like patents, like patents. Oh, we got patents, but I, don't tell anyone. So I, I'm very well known for talking with everyone and our, you know, uh, competitions. Because like, European culture is a bit like that. Like you, you make it as a startup, as a tech startup, if you have a freaking good product. Not if you just keep it all for yourself and no one can see. It's a lot of, you know, healthy elements. But Australians has got to be the, the completely fear of competition and exchange. I think yes. I don't know where it comes from, but I feel it. Potentially population, right? Competitive environment because not many people. I was in London for six years and, you know, like the web community in London, the web design community was so open, right? And there was this real knowledge sharing and like people were kind of pushing it, like, like not all in person, like on Twitter or whatever, but like there was like a lot of sharing, right? Like he, here's how we can push the community. And coming back here, I just felt it was very insular, yeah, yeah. especially running an agency. You know what's the problem? The problem is that most of the tech startups, they don't have global ambitions enough. So when you have, when your market is just Australia, there's like 20, you know, Adelaide, like, hello, like you want to keep your cigarettes closed. But, you know, when you are a startup that is, needs to compete with someone in the valley or so. Who cares if like, the, the, the core startups in Adelaide knows all, all the stuff or we, we need to grow and we need to go fast. So I think it's, it's the lack of a global mentality. Even if you are, have access to all the secrets of a startup, 
none of them put together will allow you to make the same things happen again. Yes. No. Like we, we build apps, you know, the amount of people that come with NDAs and the sort of idea and they're like, oh, no, got to be first to market. I'm like, mate, like it, it doesn't matter. We put patents because maybe you want to slow other people down for one year. <laughs> I actually think that attitude in general in business is really refreshing and we need more of that. Otherwise you're creating barriers, creating sort of us versus them where it really should be like, hey, we're all, we're all sort of in it for the same. I agree. I called my, I got a competitor in, uh, in, uh, in Australia and I called it the other day and say, guys, do you want to play a laser tag war? Us against you. If you don't talk to us, at least let's play some laser tag. Yeah, now we have to win. Hey everybody, Sam here again. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to all of our wonderful guests and talking about fear. I think just from my perspective, um, this is something that I've had to confront a lot in my own world recently. I've recently just sold my business and which came with a huge amount of fear around it from so many different perspectives. And one of the takeaways I have is that a lot of fear comes from our own judgment of ourselves and assumptions about how other people are going to react to things. So you build these worlds within your mind, which may or may not come to fruition, but living in that fear and living in the assumption of what may happen, living in the future in your mind is a is a really bad place to get caught. And I see this happen a lot in, in my business, people worried and, and fearful of, of situations or how people might react um, to certain things or reactions they think might come. And, and this for me is very much a understanding of sort of, you know, not living in the present, but living in, in sort of the fear of what may happen. So that's something that consciously and mindfully we really have to conquer and i know if i have to do it, i've had to do it quite a lot over the last few months anyway uh thank you so much for listening and again we've got a few more episodes uh, live from south start to be launched over the next couple of weeks we would love to hear your feedback if you've got any feedback on the format and stay human out there cheers <laughs>